Good evening. Good evening. Good to see all of you out tonight. We're glad you're here with us. And David, thanks for coming. We appreciate your presence tonight. Our lesson for tonight is, of course, the one-word series that is on sin. And next week will be our singing night, so you'll have a week's break um, that you won't have to read the devotionals before we do the next one. So if you want to use next week to study something on your own, or if you want to use it to catch up, maybe you didn't read the first few that, that we had, uh, you can use next week to, to do a little catch up on that if you would like. Um, I would certainly encourage you to do so. But tonight's lesson is on sin. Brother David picked out a great song to preface this lesson. Why did my Savior come to earth or heaven leave, whichever one it is? There are two songs that are very similar. But basically the, the thought of the song is because he loves me. Sin keeps us from God. Sin comes between us and God. And because Jesus was sent by God, because He loves us so, that sin can be taken away. Sin is seen as repulsive to many in our world, and yet it still exists among us. As repulsive as sin may be to us, it is so powerful that none of us are innocent. Not completely. No matter how much we love God, sin is still present in our lives. It's something that we constantly have to guard against. We have that temptation and often we give in to that temptation. It's not a sin to be tempted, but it is a sin to give in to temptation. And often we fall. Because sin is always with us, we are in constant need of God's grace. Now God still loves us despite our transgressions. God wants us to turn away from sin. But we must understand what sin is and how it affects us for us to be able to turn away from it. If you don't know that you've done something wrong, it's going to be hard to fix it, isn't it? I run into it all the time with preschoolers. There are a lot of things that even at ages four and five that, that they don't know. Maybe they, maybe they don't understand exactly what they have done that has hurt somebody else. And so you have to explain it to them. But if they don't know what they've done wrong, they're going to keep doing it because they think it's right. We have to know what's wrong in order to make it right. To turn away from sin, we must begin by recognizing and admitting our guilt. If I'm unwilling to say that I am guilty of sin, there's no way that I can turn away from it. That's one of the first steps in guarding against sin is to recognize that it is in our lives. Our lesson objectives for tonight are, first of all, to recognize sin for what it is and how it affects our lives. And secondly, to learn God's will for us and how we may have our sins 
washed away. Our invitation song tonight is going to be, Are You Washed in the Blood? And I'll just start by asking you that question. Are you washed in the blood? And if you're not, then that's something to be thinking about through this lesson. Let's look, first of all, at sin. In general, sin. Sin entered the world through Adam and Eve. And over the last two or three weeks, we spent a lot of time in Genesis. So this is nothing new. Let's read it again, just as a reminder. Genesis chapter 3. We'll begin with verses 1 through 6. Genesis 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden. God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So, Verse 6. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. The The serpent spoke to Eve. And he basically well, he started off by questioning God. Has God said this? Has God said that you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And then he, he changed the command that God had given them or changed the consequence. You will not surely die. And they didn't die that day. But we see that death was put into action at that point. But even in all of the things that the serpent did, verse 6 tells us very plainly that it wasn't the serpent who made Eve sin. It was Eve. It was her decision. She knew God's command. She knew what God had said. And she was the one that made the decision to turn away from God. Because she sinned and because Adam sinned with her, they faced the consequences of their actions, namely death, the consequence that we all face because of Adam and Eve. We would not be here had it not been for them either. But we all face death eventually because they sinned. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 22. For as in Adam all die. Death was set in motion when they sinned. Now the sin of Adam and Eve was only the beginning. It was the first sin, but it was not the last. 
Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering. But he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. Cain's sin began with a heart that was more willing to serve self than God. So his offering was not accepted. This sin led to another as his anger led him to kill his brother Abel as we read in verse 8. Because of temptation and hearts willing to give in, sin continues today. We understand that sin touches the lives of many around us. Adam and Eve's sin touches us today with the consequence of eventual death. And likewise, other lives are touched by the consequences of our actions. If we choose to drink and drive, we strike a pedestrian or, or a fellow driver, and their life is taken from this world, they have suffered a consequence of our actions. And not only them, but their families who have lost a loved one. If we choose to smoke cigarettes or drink alcohol, our immediate family suffers the consequence of those actions. There are certain diseases that come along with, with cigarettes and alcohol use. Our families are ultimately affected by our decisions. Sin touches our lives personally when we choose to give in to temptation. You have to understand that all have sinned. All are guilty. Romans chapter 3 verses 9 through 20. What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips. Whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore by the deeds of the law no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. What if I'm innocent? Some might ask. What if I'm not guilty of all these things? 
1 John 1 verse 10 says this, If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His Word is not in us. And we have all sinned. We are all guilty. Whether or not we admit it, sin affects us. We've all given in to temptation. We have all transgressed the will of God. Sin has an effect on all the sinner and those he sins against. To keep others from suffering the effects of our sins, we must learn to avoid it. On occasions when we do give in, and we will, we do fall short, we are human, but let's make sure that we don't use that as an excuse either. But on the occasion that we give in, we must admit that we are wrong. Apologize to God, to those that we sin against. And we learn how not to repeat our actions. That's repentance. We'll talk about that in a moment. As sin left Adam and Eve exposed to the world physically, and we talked about that a couple of weeks ago, we also are left exposed to the world spiritually when we sin against God and man. There's a popular quote attributed to a certain R. Zacharias who says this, Sin will take you farther than you want to go. Keep you longer than you want to stay and cost you more than you want to pay. Sin is very costly. It is something to be avoided. Alright, so let's admit it. Yes, we have sin in our lives. Now what? What do we do now that we realize that something is not completely right. We move on to repentance. Scripture constantly tells us that because of our sins, repentance is necessary. And whether or not one has obeyed the gospel, when sin stands between us and God, a change of direction is required. If we have not obeyed the gospel, then first of all, we need to change our direction to walking toward God. We need to strive to do God's will. We have to change those actions that transgress His will. That's one of the first steps that we have to take. We have to change those actions. We have to confess our faith before the faithful. Faith in Christ our belief that He is the Son of God, and we're baptized for the remission of sin. And if we have done all of those things, that doesn't make us immune to sin. There are many who turn away. There are many who fall by the wayside. And they are also required to repent, to change their action. 
They've already obeyed the gospel. So what they need to do is to come back to God, rededicating their life to Him or asking for prayer or forgiveness. But they need to repent. They need to change. Make the change that wasn't made the first time. You see, repentance is one of those things that, that unlike confession and baptism, is something that we continually do throughout our life. It's something that we have to constantly be aware of, making sure that we're staying in the direction of God, that we're staying on the right path. And when we veer off of that path, we have the opportunity to come back. As we talked about in some of our classes, as long as we have breath of life, we have the ability to come back to God. But either way, if we are outside of Christ, because we've never put Christ on in baptism or because we've erred from the path to glory. We are in need of repentance. Repentance is, by definition, a noun. It is the action of repenting. It means that we have to do something. Or sincere regret or remorse. You see, anyone that agrees, and there are many people that disagree on the plan of salvation, for instance. But I think most all agree that repentance is necessary. Repentance is an action. And no, we are not saved by works of merit, but we are saved by works of obedience. Repentance is just that. Repentance is a work of obedience. And it's important that we do that. But there is action involved in repentance. Paul defined repentance very well in Acts chapter 26, verses 19 and 20. Acts 26, verses 19 and 20. Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and then to the Gentiles. Uh, this is what he did after he was converted. He declared to them that they should repent. Verse 20. Turn to God. And do works befitting repentance. That was what they were required to do. That's exactly what repentance is. They should repent. What is repentance? Turning to God. And I go from, from one instance where I'm walking towards sin. Where I'm doing whatever I please. Or whatever I think is right. I'm walking in a worldly direction. I'm walking in a path that leads to destruction. So I have to turn. I have to turn a different direction. Not 360 because that will take you right back to where you were. But do a 180. Turn the opposite direction. And now I'm walking toward God. Now I'm walking in God's path. The path that leads to righteousness. The path. It leads to heaven. I have to turn. 
And I have to do something. Again, we're not saved by works of merit. There's nothing that I can do to earn salvation. But there are certain things that I have to do in order to be a child of God. And so I have to do works befitting repentance. I don't know how you get around that. There's something I must do. One of the best examples of repentance that we read about in Scripture is the example of David. Nathan presented David with a parable in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. And there he said, There were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb which he had bought and nourished and it grew up together with him and with his children. It ate of his own food and drank from his own cup and lay in his bosom and it was like a daughter to him and a traveler came to the rich man who refused to take from his own flock from his own herd to prepare one for the wayfaring man who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. The read of David's reaction to learning that the rich man in the parable was himself. David had taken the wife of a man. The only wife that he had. David saw her. He lusted after her. He wanted her. He desired her. And he called for her and she came. They had a relationship that, that shouldn't have ever happened because she was married. He was married. And yet he sinned against Uriah. He sinned against Bathsheba even though she was willing and consenting. He sinned against God. When he realized that he was the rich man that had taken the one new lamb, the one that didn't belong to him instead of the many that he had, he said in verse 13, I have sinned against the Lord. He realized that he had done wrong. And Nathan said to David, The Lord has also put away your sin. You shall not die. And I'm sure that was a great relief. Psalm 51 is believed to be the prayer of David following this parable and his understanding that he had sinned. Psalm 51 beginning with verse 1. Have mercy upon me, O God. According to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. 
Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness, that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Verse 11, do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your way, and sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. The God of my salvation and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips. And my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Does that sound like the heart of a sinner? Sounds like the heart of someone who is turning away from his sin. Who is turning to God, realizing that he is unworthy. Realizing that he shouldn't even be able to come to the presence of God. Realizing how much he owes God. David realized his sins, turned to God in repentance, and returned to faithfully serving God the rest of his days. And David faced many consequences as a result of his sins. Guilt and remorse, something that he would live with until the end of his life. He faced the death of the child that was conceived in adultery. And he had many family problems between his multiple wives and son. David's life wasn't made perfect because he repented. He still had to face the consequences of his action. It's like when someone goes to prison today, they're, they're judged and they're, they're shown as guilty. And they go to prison. What if while they're in prison they repent for what they've done? They turn to God. They become Christians. They obey the gospel. Does that mean that their prison sentence is over? It doesn't. They still have to face the consequences of their actions. And even today when we commit sin, whether it be small or large, we still have to face the consequences of our actions. Even if we do repent, even if we do obey the gospel, or whatever it is that's standing between us and God, even if we take care of that need, there are still consequences to be faced. But now we have the ability to face them, knowing that God is on our side, knowing that we are forgiven, knowing that we're walking different shoes. Despite his sin, God allows man to be justified 
by the sacrifice of his son. I heard it in a song. The meaning of justification. Justified. Just as if I'd never sinned. Romans 3. This time noticing verses 21 through 26. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness because in His forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time His righteousness that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Man is justified by God's grace through his own faith. In obedience in Christ. Now we have many sins that are listed throughout Scripture. I want to share some of those with you. Paul in his epistles listed many of them. Romans chapter 1, verses 28 through 32. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. Being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, they are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who, knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. First Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Some of the sins listed are horrendous. I think the two that we might think of the most, adultery, and murder. And there are others that, that are seemingly innocent. Disobedient to parents. Unloving. Unforgiving. 
jealousy, idolatry, One of the things that we have to realize about these lists of sins is that not one of us is innocent of all of them. Not one of us in this room is innocent of all of these sins. As we all have sin in our lives, we are in need of God's mercy and grace. John chapter 3, beginning with verse 16. We often don't look beyond verse 16. And I want to do that tonight. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Verse 18. He who believes in Him is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world. And men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who pract everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. Sin is shameful. And so when sin is committed, it is committed in secret, in a dark place. And those that commit sin says here that they hate. They hate the light. Verse 21. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. God is the source of light. He's the source of truth. And anyone who comes to him wants to be in his light. Guilt of any sin will keep us from the inheritance of God that God has promised to the faithful. But because God has sent His Son to take our punishment to the cross, we can be free from all of our sins through repentance and obedience to His Word. First Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 11. One of my favorite verses in the scriptures says this. And such were some of you. After Paul listed those sins that the Corinthians were guilty of, he says, and such were, past tense, such were some of you. But you were washed. But you were sanctified. But you were justified. Again, just as if I'd never sinned. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. See, even though 
we are guilty of sin. Even though we have committed things against God, some may be even hard to, to talk about. But even though we have transgressed God's word and His will, He hasn't ceased to love us. He still sent His Son to die for us. And because He has done that, we can be washed from our sins. It begins by contact with the blood. We do so, do so through obedience. Repentance, confession, baptism for the mission of sins. And when we are baptized, we come in contact with the blood of Christ. Not physically, but spiritually speaking. When we are baptized, it's symbolic of Jesus' death, burial, resurrection. And when we come up out of the water, our sins are washed away. Maybe it is that, that someone here has, has done all of those things and maybe you need to come back. Maybe you realize that sin has taken over your life. It's easy to, to do if we're not careful. Maybe you need to come back to the light. To the light of God. I don't know where you stand before God. But if there is sin between you and God, if there is something that is keeping you from a right relationship with Him, we give you the opportunity to come. Let's see how we stand as we sing.